Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, August 12th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, hospitals in the state are at a breaking point. Then, a conversation with writer Michael Ferris-Smith. And a Hattiesburg pediatrician talks schools and COVID. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The COVID crisis intensifies in Mississippi. Yesterday, the state reported more than 3,000 new cases of the virus, along with 25 COVID-related deaths. I kind of personally feel like I'm an air traffic controller. And every day, I'm watching two airliners collide. That's Dr. Thomas Dobbs, the state health officer. And I'm constantly warning, we're constantly warning to change course, and we never do. Um, it's 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 really it is uh, distressing um, to to see what's going on and know that almost all these deaths are preventable. I was talking to an ICU doctor uh, just the other day. They had a, um, a healthy mid thirty year old guy, two kids, wife came in the hospital with COVID, and his only situation was he was a little bit overweight. And in a couple of days, he died. COVID killed him. And the doc was sitting in the waiting room talking to the mom, and she was just beside herself because she'd been trying to convince, get him to get a vaccine for months. And he thought he was too tough. He didn't think he needed it. He was too young. He didn't have serious medical issues or anything. And now we have kids who don't have a dad, and we have a wife who doesn't have a husband, all for the want of a simple vaccine. Each day, more and more Mississippians seriously ill with COVID arrive in emergency rooms. That has stretched the state's health care system precariously thin. Daily admissions continue to climb at, at a staggering rate. Um, the 
and if we look at the rapidity of this rise, it's it's really it's really kind of terrifying and awe inspiring. If if we see what we're doing, we already have essentially zero hospital ICU capacity, and we have dozens of people waiting in in ERs to get an ICU bed, and within this population, a, a large number of them are going to end up in the ICU. We know from historical perspective that for every 100 cases, about seven to eight of them are end up in the hospital. So every day we report a 1,000 cases, we're going to have 70, 80 new patients being hospitalized. And this is on top of an already full healthcare system. If we look at these 224 people, we know from our historical data that about 15% of these people are not going to make it. If we look over here at their ICU use and our ventilators, we know that about a third of folks who end up on the ICU are not going to make it. And about two-thirds of those who end up on ventilators are not going to make it home to their families. And you can see why it's so distressing because we know that these things are mostly preventable. If we look at our daily hospitalizations, most of the cases are being hospitalized are under 50. I want you to absorb that. Most of the people who are being admitted to the hospital are under 50 years of age as, as these different age groups, which is very different from what we've seen before. And you can see we're seeing more and more pediatric hospitalizations than we've seen and have peaked beyond what we saw a little bit from what we saw in the winter. And we expect we'll see more and more of this, especially as we see transmission around school settings. Dr. Alan Jones is Vice Chancellor for Clinical Affairs at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Since the pandemic, I think the the thing that hospitals have feared the most is just total failure, total failure of the hospital system. And, you know, if we track back a week or so, when we look at the case positivity rate, the number of new positives that we're seeing, the rate of the testing positives, and then the rate of hospitalizations based on what we are seeing, if we continue that trajectory within the next five to seven to ten days, I think we're, we're going to see failure of the hospital system in Mississippi. I mean, hospitals are full from Memphis to Gulfport, Natchez to Meridian. Everything's full. If there were, you know, schools starting back, if there were a bus wreck of kids, we would, we would not be able to take care of all those kids at this hospital. Several hospitals, along with the Department of Health and the State Emergency Management Agency, are working with FEMA to expand care capacity. Here's Dr. Luann Woodward, also of UMMC. We are just learning today, as the day is unfolding, exactly what that team is going to look like that they are sending. The individual who kind of comes ahead of time to set up the operations arrived this morning. And what we are planning to do is to deploy the field hospital into the basement of Garage B and to then utilize these additional personnel in that facility. As it turns out, we are getting some physicians, nurses, respiratory therapists, paramedics as well, some you know substantial assistance, and we want to make the best use of that that we can to benefit the patients who need the assistance as well as to benefit, you know, our own teams that are stretched very thin. We expect continued updates on the COVID crisis throughout the day. Coming up, a conversation with writer Mark Michael Ferris-Smith. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi writer Michael Ferris Smith's latest novel is titled simply Nick. It serves as an origin story of sorts for Nick Carraway, the fictional narrator of F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby. Most literary types will tell you Gatsby is American canon, perhaps, even the definitive great American novel. But when Michael Ferris Smith first read it, he wasn't convinced. I remember thinking, I don't see what the big deal is, kind of tossed it away. I thought that about most things in college. Um, <laughs> Then I, I read it again, probably in my mid-20s, when I was um, actually living abroad. But I didn't read it again after that till about 14 years later. That was in 13, 14, and I sat down to read it again. And th- this time, it just really hit me in ways I wasn't expecting. I really just picked it up to read it because I was looking for something shorter to read, and I saw it on my bookshelf, and I thought, well, I'll give it another try because I don't really remember a lot about it. And it turned into like, you know, truly one of the most surreal reading experiences of my life. And it's brought me to this thing that I could have never seen coming. I think a lot of people like you early on read it and said, what's the big deal? What what is the big deal? Why is The Great Gatsby considered one of the greatest American novels? That's a very good question. And like I I thought every time I see this on a high school reading list, I think there's no way those kids can get it. I mean, there's just no way. Because the reason it spoke to me, and this is, I think, one of the reasons that makes it a a novel that sustains, is it spoke to me not until later in my life, after I had done things like lived in different places and met different people and had my notions about home and country changed and had my even just notions of who do we listen to and why do we listen to them and how are we going about things? And not a whole lot of this makes sense to me. Also, having lived and loved and had children and moved and started writing and failed miserably for several years before finally having some success. I mean, I've been through a lot. So I think the thing about Gatsby that I noticed in it that I think sustains it is Nick is very much kind of on this journey of trying to figure these things out for himself. He have a very strong desire to belong and to fit somewhere, but also at the same time, he's just off-center all the time. He also has this ability to pull himself back and to extract himself from a situation, um, almost as if some type of self-preservation, I think. While at the same time, having served in the war and being in, the, in America in 1920, which the, the country was in a vast state of change, much like we are now, his notions of home and the things he's done and seen and experienced are changing. He's trying to come to grips with all that, along with his own self-identity. And I think the self-identity issue for me was very strong. And I think that has a lot to do with the popularity of The Great Gatsby, because it has occurred to me over time in working on this novel and seeing the things I saw in Nick and the things that I really related to. I think a lot of people feel that way. I think a lot of people are looking to try to figure who they are and where they belong and how they fit in. And just about the time you think you may be on the edge of it, things have a tendency to shift and you almost are in this constant state of evolution of trying to figure these things out. So I think that's why it relates to a lot of people. Tell us where you or how you decided to go with him. 
when I read the novel several years ago, I kept thinking about Nick. And because he tells us Gatsby, it's in first person, so you don't know a lot about him. You only know that he was from the Midwest, that he fought in the war, that he went to Yale, and that he's he realizes at the end of the novel it's his birthday and he's turning 30. And for me, that was the thing that really struck me about Nick because I thought, man, what it must have happened to this guy for him to be so detached that he doesn't even realize it's his birthday until very late in the day. And I realized things had brought him to that. Things had brought him to kind of this romantic notion of America and, and making your way and this and that and the other to just, just all crumbles in an instant. And um, he's, he's very emotionally fragmented throughout but he's also very detached, too. And I'd wanted to know what had brought him to that. And certainly the war stuck out to me right off the bat. I'm like, you know, we know enough about PTSD now to know what these men and women go through who serve. And then when they come home, it's almost impossible for things to be normal. And that was my first clue that there was a lot more to Nick. And I was so engaged in him as a character myself. I really had the very simple thought, gazing out of my upstairs window at my house, it would be really interesting if someone was to write a, a novel about Nick or write Nick's story. And just as, almost as, as soon as I had the thought, I just realized then that I was probably going to be the one to do it. For those who have read Gatsby, it'll be interesting for them to read Nick. And for those who haven't, it'll be a good introduction to this character, who, again, is the narrator for The Great Gatsby. Michael Ferris Smith's latest book is simply called Nick. Michael, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much, Karen. I enjoyed talking with you, as always. Coming up, our series on Mississippi schools and the pandemic continues. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor, from fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. You're listening to Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. This month, students across Mississippi face an uncertain return to school as the highly transmissible Delta variant of COVID-19 spreads unchecked. In dense, chaotic settings like school buses and cafeterias, masking and social distancing rules are almost impossible to enforce. In some districts, those rules don't even exist. At the same time, students across the state are still suffering the academic after effects of last year's lockdown. The overwhelming majority of administrators say a return to virtual learning is all but off the table. So what's the plan? This week, we pose that question to experts, decision makers and stakeholders throughout Mississippi. This is year two. Dr. Anita Henderson is a pediatrician at Hattiesburg Clinic, which serves parts of the state that have been especially hard hit by COVID over the past month. Earlier this week, she was asked to speak before the Lamar County School Board about the threat of COVID in schools. I was very thankful to be given the opportunity by Superintendent Stephen Hampton to speak along with the board members. And what I said was, we have a situation within the school system that is unsafe and it is unsustainable and it is unacceptable right now. When you add in the totals of those three weeks of school, you actually get up to about 400 and 
54 students who have tested positive within those first three weeks. All of last year in the Oak Grove school system, that is the entire fall 2020, spring 2021 season, school year, there were about 537 positives. So you can see within three weeks, we are actually fast approaching the total for the entire school year last week. So I was very thankful to be able to speak. They have come up with a new plan. They are now requiring masks for all children within the school system indoors, regardless of vaccine status. And I think that is a very important tool to help make schools safe. So kids are going to wear masks across the district. Is that enough or are there other things that can be done to mitigate the spread of this virus? We have always looked at schools in terms of a layered approach to safety. Masking is one tool. Hand hygiene is another tool. Ventilation is another tool. Spacing. And then now in that 12 and up age range, we really have to focus on getting children vaccinated, getting parents vaccinated. The other thing we want parents to remember and understand is now that many of these schools have gone virtual, in fact, nine out of the 18 schools in Lamar County have already gone virtual because of this outbreak. And and throughout the state, many schools are starting virtually or having a hybrid situation. That does not mean on those days off on the weekend that we want them congregating in large groups. The transmission of coronavirus within the school system can be mitigated with those safety measures. When children are outside of the school system, we want them also to be protected and stay safe. So avoid those large indoor gatherings. Avoid those unnecessary events where coronavirus is being transmitted. We've certainly heard around the state of some parents protesting the idea of mandating masks. Did you get any pushback when you talked to the school board or have you heard or has the school heard from parents who disagree with this new mandate? I do believe that the school board has heard from parents who disagree. I will say I was so pleased with the situation on Monday night. We had a very civilized conversation. There was no yelling or screaming, as I've seen has happened in other school board situations. And the only people who spoke were people who were given permission prior. And they had some extra security just in case. That was unnecessary. But I was very thankful to be in a safe and secure situation. So I do think the school board has gotten some pushback. But I do believe parents in general understand we all want our kids in school safely. We want to do what is best to keep them there safely. And masks are part of the solution. So I'm thankful for the opportunity to have spoken. And I hope that more school districts will look at what has happened in Lamar County during these first three weeks and rethink their plan, revisit their protocols. I also would ask for the leadership of our state to step up and help these school districts. Some of them are fighting with parents. Some of them are getting significant pushback. They do not have the support that they need, the leadership on the state level. And I really would hope that that leadership would step up 
to support our schools. We know that kids learn best in person, and that's why the American Academy of Pediatrics, the Mississippi chapter, came out with a statement several weeks ago, and we sent it to the governor. We sent it to school boards and school districts outlining mitigation measures, outlining plans to get our kids in school and keep them there safely. So we need to use all the means available to us to stop the transmission of coronavirus. Do you know how many children between the ages of 12 and 18 are unvaccinated? Within the state of Mississippi, as I mentioned, 9% of the 12 to 15-year-olds are fully vaccinated and 15% of the 16 to 17-year-olds are fully vaccinated. So that means over 85% are unvaccinated. If you would, tell us about COVID in a child. Are they more susceptible to serious symptoms and serious condition? In general, coronavirus in children has been less severe than coronavirus in adults. The Delta variant seems to have the potential to be different. It is certainly more transmissible. We know that. In terms of the severity of disease with children, we are still trying to figure that out. We are having more children infected, and therefore we are having more children hospitalized, and we are having more children get severe disease. We don't know if that's just because we have more cases or if the Delta variant is more virulent. I will also say that personally, I have had this week multiple children admitted to the hospital with coronavirus in our community. Some of them are very sick. And I do believe that it has been a factor in getting the message out in our local schools about the importance of masking. Unfortunately, when a bad thing happens to a child in your community, people take note and it sometimes is an impetus to increase vaccination rates, increase safety measures within your local community. Any final thoughts? I would just encourage parents, school boards, school administrators, and again, our elected officials to think about what is best for the children of our state. Do everything in your power, everything possible to make school as safe and successful as possible for this school year. Our our children cannot do it on their own. They depend on the adults around them to make those decisions, to make the choices and to protect them. So I would encourage everyone put aside their politics, put aside their preconceived notion of what they think needs to happen and look at the science, look at the data, look at what is best for the children of Mississippi. Dr. Anita Henderson is a pediatrician with the Pediatric Clinic, part of the Hattiesburg Clinic. Dr. Henderson, thank you very, very much. Thank you very much for having me. Just now, the Department of Health officially reported 4,412 new cases of COVID-19. That blows away the state's all-time record by almost 1,000 cases. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. 
I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.